Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 89 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? It is 2021. Yes. It is not 2020. It is 2021. <laughs> I tell myself that all the time because I still type 2020 in emails. <laughs> I, I, I had to correct correct it on the show sheet earlier today. Yeah. Even. yeah. It is it is a, a thing to remember when you're in January. It mm-hmm. is Wednesday. I know some of you are, well, many of you are still working at home. We welcome you back. For those of you who are getting this podcast late, Wednesday happened. <laughs> It was a Remember thing. Remember that. <laughs> it is 2021 and Wednesday happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, at, we're at that centering point, huh? Yeah, I think so. I Just, think so. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, been, it's been a crazy year already. And yeah. And it is 13 days. 13 days. <laughs> in 2021. 13 so. days in. Yeah. Um, have we, uh, have we, we, got, we got any gaming? We didn't do any gaming last week. We no. Had, we had last weekend off. Um, we had Sean's game though on you did. friday you did and you had a an interesting situation happen that i think was kind of cool which is which is something that i don't think we talk a lot about which is being unprepared <laughs> we were like sean was like oh it's oh, this oh. week not next week and that you got to see the outside perspective of the shock and horror of oh. being of the storyteller oh no i know what that looks like <laughs> i have mirrors in my house <laughs> I try not to look at mine. My right. hair is terrible right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Uh, uh, Sean, Sean thought his Sean thought he had an extra week to prepare. But um, I'll tell you what, he he came up with some really brilliant stuff. Yeah. Um, found a really cool uh, NPC generator. We posted it in the Discord. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And uh, let's see here. It was called DM Heroes on this DMHeroes.com. Um, what that helps you do actually is it comes up with kind of random NPCs for you. Now it will name them, yeah, such as that. But it also uses an algorithm to give you a portrait for them as well, which is fantastic. And so, in like under ten minutes, he was able to come up with like t- sep- ten separate portraits and tokens yeah. to bring into Foundry VTT for these NPCs. Oof. So he was able to do some really, really good, yeah, um, uh, stuff uh, very quickly. Yeah, I I love those types of things where you can find the right tool that you need and it. It feels seamless. It just kind of moves yeah. right into the story, and you're just. I, I hope we can get closer and closer to that uh-huh. as as we move through storytelling in this digital age. Oh yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And it just it just becomes natural. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, every, every day I'm seeing because I'm, I'm subscribed to the Foundry subreddit yep, too, of course, so yep. I'm seeing like a lot of stuff come out of there of just like, hey guys, this new was uh, new add on came out and it does this cool thing for you. You know, yeah, the, or, their Discord is always lit up with oh, stuff. Oh yeah, so yeah. or or con- con- uh, conversely, somebody going, you know, hey guys, is there a way Way to do this and four people jump in and go yeah there's already a tool for that like, yeah yeah so a really great discussion that takes place on there if you are gaming online mm-hmm. um the cool thing that happened actually um uh with with sean's game um and you know i'm not the idea person right like you can't give me you kind of have to spoon feed me plot mm-hmm. um i i don't i don't pick up on subtle hints very well i'm always the last one to go <gasps> The guy we're talking to right now is the Ark villain. Yep. You know, yep. I'm the last person to put any of that stuff together. Um, and you write plots like that, so it's I a do. little it's a little I infuriating. Do. I do. <laughs> I, I write very deep plots, and I I try to unplot myself, and it does not work. No, it's it's fine. I enjoy the ride, even yeah. if I don't know what I'm looking at. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I I will follow up on it with everybody else when they make all the discoveries and be just as amazed as they are. Yeah. Um. 
But uh, I had the aha moment in Sean's game, and it felt so good to go, wait a minute, guys, wait a minute, that's what the plot is! Hold on, so this faction, and that faction, and this faction, and that faction, they're all fighting over this thing? And this thing is the key to this other thing? And Sean was just grinning at me from the computer going, and nodding at me, going like, yep. You got it. It's yeah. right on the nose. Yeah. Congratulations. And I, oh, in that one moment, and that one moment, I felt like a goddess of knowledge and insight. Like... It's it's wonderful when it all clicks <laughs> together in a good plot. And it feels great when you're behind the, behind the board and you see that happen. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. when it's not something that they're coming up with on their own that's ridiculous and you're like, you know, that could work. It's actually the thing you wrote, you know? So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but no, we had, we had a lot of fun uh, on Friday night, so um, hopefully that'll uh, we'll get that going. Um, we got your game scheduled, his next game yep. session scheduled. Yep. I get my game session you, you scheduled. You do need to get it scheduled. Um, everybody was really tepid about it last time. I'm like, oh, January and February are awful for me. I don't know. I'll just well, the schedules. to be perfectly honest, it has up. been awful. It, so. it has been. So. It has been. So. But, so we just didn't follow up on it. But Yeah. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Uh, we are here tonight to do another system spotlight. We do these the second Wednesday of every single month. Yep. So if you're bored with hearing us try and tell you how to run a good story <laughs> and you, you just want to hear about st- a system spotlight, it's a breakup moment. So we're you know? back. Um, and so tonight we're, we're going to focus a little bit on uh, two of my favorite games and, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of a, a genre of games in general. Um, yes. And that is rules light games. Games yeah. with like... A two-page, you know, um, rule I would set. say two to, like, 100. Uh, not even 100. There are there are some rule-like games that are 100 pages because they have a setting. Well, right. right. <laughs> well, but I'm talking just rules. Just rules. Like, like if you yes. cut, if you rip all the setting stuff out of a book, if you rip all the artwork, the yeah. charts. Yeah. You know, cause, I mean, charts are technically rules, but they're not, like, how to play the game. They're yeah. just, if you want to wield a longsword, here's how much damage it does. Right, right, you know? right. Um, and if you rip all that stuff out and just get down to the brass tacks of how to play a game, if you can fit it on a three by five card, I am there for it. Yeah. I mean, even two pages, like front and back. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so the two games I hope to focus on tonight is, um, Warrior Rogue and Mage. Yep. Which by, is a, a mainstay. By yeah. Stargazer Games. Yep, yep. And, uh, Dread, which you've heard me, if you're a fan of the show, uh, mention numerous times before, um, by the impossible dream. Yes. Now the Warrior Rogan Mage is more of a traditional role-playing game system yeah. in the sense of how we all know those words. It has classes, it has stats, it has dice. It is a traditional light role-playing game. Yeah. Um so it's 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 going to be very familiar. I I kind of refer to it as diet diet D&D. Honestly, um, I think it's like it's even more than diet D and D. Like it's, it's Savage one. World is diet D and D. It's D and D one, just one calorie. Yeah, yeah, I think that that'd be a good D&D way to put D zero. D and D zero. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's the skim milk of D and D. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because it is, it, it is it is so cut down. It is. Um, so it was uh, created in 2010 by Stargazer Games. Uh, mm-hmm. Stargazer Games uh, is a is a, just a, an indie game designer. Um, does a lot of other stuff. Uh, he's got several other settings uh, and systems on his. Um, uh, on his website, uh, mm-hmm. StargazerGames.eu. Yeah. And um, a lot of those are kind of iterations on the Warrior Rogue and Mage yes. uh, formula. He was going to do a version 2 of it, wasn't he, at one point? And then backed off and just kind of did some errata adjustments, I uh, think. What what I'll say about Stargazer Games is there's a lot of unfinished stuff on his website. Sure. Um, but he, you know, he throws a lot of spaghetti at the wall and sees what sticks. Exactly. And, and, and flat out, I will say, looking at the site and seeing that, A, people comment on it even this year. Oh, yeah. And he just replies to the 
them. Uh-huh. Like it's no big deal. It's like if you if you've got that kind of contact with the developer mm-hmm. and it's all, you know, it's not like dude just play my damn game and get away from me, you know, right, kind of attitude. Right, right, that's right. fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So he, he still has engagement with the community even if yep. he's not technically like supporting it by releasing more stuff out of it. Sure, know? whatever. Um but honestly, uh, uh Warrior Rogue Mage plays pretty well on its own. Mm-hmm. Um very much so. So uh, as a primer, um, and we've we've called it the skim milk of D and D. Indeed. Um, so it is a generic fantasy setting um, mm-hmm. in that uh, you can kind of adapt it to whatever you need. It mm-hmm. doesn't really have a world book, so to speak. Right. Um, and it is a classless, levelless system. Yes. Um, that is entirely based on uh, your character going through advances. Basically, every time you get an advance, mm-hmm. and there's no experience points. It's basically just whenever the storyteller says you get an advance. Mm-hmm. Um, you can gain uh, attribute points, skills, new spells, a talent, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game is named Warrior, Rogue, and Mage because those are the three attributes in the game. Mm-hmm. That is it. Yep. Warrior. Which covers like your strength, endurance, your brawn, all that sort of stuff. Um, your rogue stat, which is your stealth, your dexterity, your finesse, all those mm-hmm. sort of things. And your mage stat, which is um, used for mental feats, charismatic feats, and ma- casting magic. Perfect. That's it. Simple. Three numbers. Yep. Um, they go on for a scale from one to ten. Yep. And that's it. Um, skills. Uh, there's a small handful of skills uh, mm-hmm. written into the book. Although, uh, you know, of course, you could add some if you wanted to homebrew something. Right. Um, and they're binary. You either have them or you don't. Right. So there's no skill rating. There's no numbers to add. If you have a skill that applies to the thing that you're currently doing. Yep. Plus two. Yeah. And the magic is generic. It's simple. It's not meant to be an all-encompassing, here's a super rule book that has all these finite versions of spells. Yeah. It's closer to, uh, as you put it, Savage World. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's very close to Savage World in that, mm-hmm. in that it encourages the players to flavor the spells whichever way that they want. So mm-hmm. you'll have a generic blast spell, mm-hmm. but that could be a blast of fire, it could be a blast of ice, mm-hmm. lightning bolts, whatever, but you're just doing damage to a single target. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what mm-hmm. it is, you yep. know. Yep. Um, the and, core rulebook itself right. is 41 pages. That's great. Now, uh, first off, that's a free PDF. It's mm-hmm. available at starkazergames.eu. Highly recommended to pick um, up. Highly recommend it. So just go go ahead and download it. Share it. Free. It's 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 it's, it's all free. Go play a game. Um, and I almost feel like I need to put the disclaimer on there that it is a 41-page rulebook. And that includes things like the cover. Yeah. The copyright and credits. Yeah. The back cover, mm-hmm. <laughs> the index, mm-hmm. you know, those are all pages. Um, several pages in the middle are um, charts. Yeah. You know, here's your armor chart. Here's your weapon chart. Here's a list of spells, which you could arguably say are rules. Yeah. But when you get down to brass tacks of the here's how you run the game and here's how you play the game and here's how the game works. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's something like seven or eight pages. Mm hmm. In the middle, it plays just... like a t- it plays like a traditional board game in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... I, I know board games with bigger books than that. Yeah, exactly. Finer print, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, now there are there are also uh, up on Stargazer Games uh, website you can find there are five expansion books for it. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I kind of use the term books like you know uh, loosely because it's they're they're from between ten to I think forty or fifty pages worth right. of. Um, additional stuff, there are usually some alternate rules, um, for combat or for spell casting and things like that. Um, there's one whole book that's just a list of magic items. 
Nice. Um, and how they work. One one book that's kind of a, just an expansion to the magic system. Okay. Um, and a bunch of new spells you could add into the game. Yeah, I, I um, had honestly did not know there were exp- expansion books mm-hmm. on this until I went and looked them up. Yeah. That's and, fantastic. And again, just like just like the core rule book, they're all free and nice. available for download. Um, and so we've actually uh, we've actually run a couple games of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've run a game or two of it. Um, uh, I mean, I haven't really finished any like long term campaigns, but they ended up kind of being little one shots, right? Um, and uh, this was actually brought to our attention um, in our gaming circle mm-hmm. uh, by one of our uh, listeners, the Mad Elf. Yep. Um, who I believe is commenting in the Discord, this is one of his absolute favorite games. Indeed, indeed. He, he does love this enthusiastically system. enthusiastically posted a list of questions for us. Yes, uh, which we will get to. Um, so I was, I was very happy to see that. Um, so what does what WRNM do well? What do you think? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, um, and from my own personal experience, is that it was very easy and fast to get into. Mm-hmm. Almost too fast in that sense, because it gave it gave opportunity to immediately jump to story mm-hmm. that we weren't like building characters for hours. Like the zero session felt like character build and jump. Yeah. Um, you had time to talk about who your characters were and give descriptions and, and kind of be a little more flexible in that regard. Yeah. I, I remember um, when the mad elf was, was, was storytelling us and we were doing our zero session. Mm-hmm. There was uh, a lot of discussion of just like character quirks, Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really have any mechanical things like what what is one just absolute, you know, badass talent your character has like verging on magical. Mm-hmm. It can be literally anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my character can get the stains out of any clothes. There you go. I know all the tricks. Yep. Mud, blood, sweat, weird icor that you dug up in some dungeon. I don't care. I know how to wash it out of your clothes and your clothes will look great afterwards. That's amazing. Like, yeah, that's... That, that, that kind of stuff is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, but, I love those kinds of quirks. But we had, the, but, but because, like you said, it was it was such a quick, you know, um, um, zero to twenty on this. You know, mm-hmm. it was we had time for that sort of granular discussion of mm-hmm. who our characters were and how they fit into the world. Right. You know, um, the other thing I, I really love about this is, um, in my own personal experience, I onboarded a couple new role players yeah. with this game um, because I think one of the one of the big things that um, uh, intimidates, I think, a lot of people joining the hobby mm-hmm. is that they look at the stack of rule books and they see the list of available books in general. You know, mm-hmm. Player's Handbook, Monster Manual, Dungeon Master's Manual, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Ghosts of Salt Marsh. I could go on. Yes. You know, um, and they go, oh, God, do I, do I need all that? And, and you're like, no. But it helps, but no, you don't need it. Right. And then you don't, you feel like you're missing out on something if you don't know about something in one of the other books. Right. You know, although, like, your storyteller or another player may get really excited about this specific, you know, prestige class of assassins, you mm-hmm, know, that you could mm-hmm. possibly get to, and you're like, that's like five levels from now. Like, okay, does this mean anything to me? Yeah. I mean, I can remember doing Palladium and having people wanting to add all these other books in because they wanted pieces from all these different books. And I can even remember back in uh, D&D, um, uh, AD&D, pulling from some of the other books as well and getting that same kind of um, draw where it's like, as a storyteller, you don't necessarily know everything that's in the Rangers book. And now suddenly you've got a character who's, you know, beelining his way through being an orc murderer, Mm -hmm. you know, and like is the best orc murderer that ever existed, you know? And you're like, Oh, 
great, I didn't realize that was a thing, and now I have basically this unstoppable force in my game full of orcs, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it, it definitely changes the gameplay to a very numbers-based system mm-hmm. again, you know, mm-hmm. where either the player knows a lot, or suddenly the storyteller has all these mechanics at their thing, and you're like, this isn't standard for and stuff. Oh, no, no, I'm using stuff from Forgotten Realms, too. And you're like, oh, okay, so... Does my character know about this? You know, mm-hmm. are we doing planeswalking? What, what's going on here? You know? Yeah. And again, it just gets out of hand real quick. So, yeah, it definitely can. Um, You know, a, a system like this can keep it very much in check because mm-hmm. there's only so far you can go with a 41 page rule book and, you know, five expansions that total maybe a hundred pages, you know, of additional, mm-hmm. of additional stuff. And again, that's including credits page and title page. <laughs> um. So the other the other thing that I really like um, about the system uh, is that if you favor a narrative heavy style, and mm-hmm. I think we kind of touched on this with the with the zero session stuff, very much so, is that um, you know you don't have to adjudicate a lot of rules. You know you can get to the meat of telling a story with interesting characters instead of worrying about the stat blocks behind them. And I think like we run into this a lot with D and D and stuff, right? You know where we tend to look at the numbers, and sometimes we you know we we try our best to role play the characters as they are, right? Um, and make them living, breathing, you know, members of a society. Right. But at a certain point, though, you know, you still look at combat encounters or what you can and can't do in a situation of, well, I have five fifth level spells and I can mm-hmm. do X, Y, and Z with them that will do X amount of damage per round, you know? Yep. And you start thinking about things mechanically. Well, if you don't have mechanics, the only thing left for you to do is focus on the story. True. True. But I think that leads us into what some of the difficulties are. Sure. Okay. And that is, is that... If you do have a rule slight system, you do run the risk that your players are looking for more. They they may be a numbers person. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to, in their mind, see the tactical, see the calculated, see how they can handle something, and it's just not there. It all comes down to, okay, well, what do you want to do? Well, well, I'm trying to figure out the best way to handle the situation. There really isn't. Like you're 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 in a fight. Yeah, what do you what do you want to do? Situation. People are probably going to die. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And and that really throws people into a tizzy of like, oh god. Like, well, what, what do, do I, I need do? to do to win? Exactly. Well, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a it's a crap situation. It's a it's a it's combat. Right. Deal so with it. Coming you know? from systems like D and D, sometimes you're more seasoned game players who have been doing D and D and have done it tactically, mm-hmm. and maybe done with minis or gone along that line. Moving into this realm, I even found this with Seven C, which is definitely not a rules light system. Yeah, yeah. But it is more of a narrative story, and when you jump to a heavy narrative, now you've got players who just aren't comfortable with not having this structured system around them to be able to navigate things sure, through. Sure. You know, you you can't sit there quietly in a ruleless system and just let things roll. Mm-hmm. It it gets awkward even more than D&D gets awkward. Well, and, that, and that, that's that's kind of another thing, too, is like if, if you are looking for like all that detail and granularity, this isn't it. You no. know, so the storyteller themselves is going to have to shoulder the weight of a lot of what the rules ordinarily would do for you. Exactly. You know, so you're going to have to fill in a lot of the blanks um, and the players, likewise, are going to need to trust the storyteller to adjudicate the situations that there are no rules for. Exactly. Like, is this really a a dexterity thing or is it a strength thing? Right. And right. those those kind of basic questions come out of 
store out of D&D, which has all of the rules, and you can look up, like, oh, so what is a strength check against a door? Well, what are you doing? I'm bashing the door. Flip, flip, flip. Bashing the doors of this. You yeah, know? exactly. You know, exactly. whereas you're, in your game, you're like, okay, well... It's, uh, it's definitely a warrior check, yeah. because it's, well, a str- it's, a, it's, a, it's a feat of strength. Okay, but uh, does, you know, this skill have anything to do with this since I'm using it in this way? Um I don't know. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. But there's nothing in the rule book that right. says, like, under these circumstances, you will use this, you know. Yeah. Which, it's, you know, that uh, that can get very frustrating. It, it, well, it can be because you, you don't you don't have that structure. Some some players do need that structure of, of, a, of a hard definition of what skills do and don't do, what yeah. attributes do and don't do, you know. And knowing your players who are in your groups to do that or talking with players to let them know about that and that there are going to be arbitrary moments where it's just going to have a decision's going to have to be made and the storyteller is to their person to make it mm-hmm. it that has to be known ahead of time and you have to as a storyteller be comfortable with looking at those types of players and saying this might not be the game for them yeah yeah i think the only other thing that kind of comes into my mind about that are the same type of players but not on the rule system mm-hmm. but on the i'm making a character and they need to know what the world is so that they can put a character into it. Yeah. And yeah. if the setting isn't there, if the framework, even the basic things of like what what races are there? Mm-hmm. What, you know, what kind of cities do we have? That is now all shouldered on Storyteller. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, keeping in mind, the WRNM is a generic system. Yeah. It's just meant to be a framework for telling fantasy stories. So all of the world building is shouldered by you. Yeah. Um. The one last thing I would add to to the cons against uh, against uh, Warrior Rogue and Mage, and mm-hmm. I, I saw a little bit of this myself because um, uh, short story time um, when I was putting together my Tamriel Elder Scrolls game, I originally was going to run it as a WRNM game, um, but I saw in playing that there were some foibles with the system, and there were also some other things that I wanted to kind of. Um, you know, make sure that we're rule- represented by rules mm-hmm. um, as far as the flavor of the system. So I started expanding on WRNM. Um, and what I did was I accidentally almost wrote D&D 5th edition mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> by by flushing it out. So yeah. um, D&D 5th edition feels like a very robust version of Warrior Rogue and Mage. It is the whole milk <laughs> of of WRNM. I I, I um, we'll call it the protein shake. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the protein shake. Yes, it's the, it's the half and half. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, the the two share a lot in common. Um, but what I what I find is that when you distill the rules down to a certain point, mm-hmm. um, of simplicity that WRNM sits at, there are some extremes that can be easily exploited in the numbers. Oh yeah. Um, like once you get up like 10 warrior, Mm -hmm. um, and put on full plate, it becomes damn near impossible to hit you by, by the rules. Now those are addressed a little bit in, if you use the alternate armor rules, because it doesn't add to your need to hit it. Um, it reduces damage instead. Right. Right. You're just as easy to hit, but you take less damage. Right. Which kind um, of makes sense. Yeah, so if you are using the alternate armor rules, it's mm-hmm. not so bad. But, right. like, it's it's one of those rule systems where once you stretch it to one extreme or another, you start getting into some ridiculous power tilt. Right, right. So it's something to keep in mind if you are going to run this game. Um, try to encourage well-rounded characters during your, uh, your session zero. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have a lot more fun with the... 
uh, fortes and foibles of those characters rather than just having one character who broke the system and is going to rampage through every combat encounter. Right, right. And I think also, just to a degree, that um, Warrior, Rogue, and Mage, as far as a, as a feeling, just like any other system, is always going to, when it gets to its extremes, be challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, any pick any system, push a character to its quote-unquote extreme or epic level, and tell me that the storyteller is not going to be struggling with the base numbers of the system and instead just telling the story about epic characters who mm-hmm. can pretty much do whatever they want. And the problem is never going to be them. It is always going to be what's happening around them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my some of my favorite moments are when you have godlike characters and stories, you know, dodging bullets and lightning bolts and things like that. And then realizing by dodging those lightning bolts, they're letting them hit other things. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that really wasn't meant to hit you because he knew you were going to dodge it and instead hits the 26 people behind you, killing 17 of them. That was your fault. Well, yeah. And so that's the kind of thing that uh, that changes those types of stories. So I think uh, Warrior Rogan Mage just makes it uh, starts you in the narrative and keeps you in the narrative a little tighter Mm -hmm. than than other systems. So which moves us on to the second one. Dear God, Dread. <laughs> you loved Dread. One of my absolute all-time favorite game systems that I will never get to run, <laughs> I don't think. I, I think, I, I will flat out say that I, I will say that Dread always sits in my head as the anxiety game. Oh yeah, probably. Yep. Probably. I it's mean, the anxiety of systems. So uh, Dread is, uh, was created in 2005 uh, by the Impossible Dream, and... Um, uh, it is a survival horror game. Uh, now, I'm going to be very clear about this. Dread is designed for exactly one type of game. It is laser-focused on that type. You do not use the Dread rules for any other type of game except survival horror. If you want your characters terrified and and and, and dying. Uh, but see, I could very easily see... I already saw two other systems where this would work. Okay. But keep going. We'll, we'll, I'll get to it. All right. Um, so I just want to be straight up, just, just, just very honest about it. Like, Dread is good at precisely one thing, but that one thing that it is good at, it is amazing at. Okay. Um, so the rules are very simple, as this is a rules light system. Um, the game is played with a Jenga tower. Now, for those of you who are uh, possibly unaware of what a Jenga tower is, it is a tower of wooden blocks laid three wide. Three, bu- yeah. And three. then. Um, you lay three um, perpendicular to that, and another three perpendicular to that, and t- et cetera, et cetera, until you make this stack of blocks. Um, it's just a, designed to be a party game, mm-hmm. and you are supposed to pull a block from the tower, mm-hmm. um, and then set that block on top of the tower. Yep. So as play continues, the tower gets flimsier because you're pulling uh, pulling out its foundation, essentially, Indeed. and it becomes precariously balanced while you're putting that weight every single time on the top of of the tower, yep. making it taller and flimsier and more off-balanced. It is going to fall at some point, whether by someone pulling a block, setting a block, or just some point in between because of air, movement, it friction, so whatever. It flimsy, yeah. Yes. Uh, so the that is your that is your adjudication tool. There are yep. no dice, there are mm-hmm. no cards, there are no chips. There are no character just, sheets. There's no character sheets even. Yeah. You don't have stats. No. You have a Jenga tower. Yeah. So, every contest requires a pull from the tower. Yes. Just like in a regular game of Jenga, you are going to pull a block. You're going to put that block on top. 
Um, if the tower falls, the last player to touch the tower is removed from the game in whatever way is story Suitable. appropriate. Yeah. Um, so either they are killed by the monster that you are fleeing from, they are sucked into the shadows, never to be seen again, they see something that just snaps their sanity and they devolve into a gibbering pool of, of catatonia or run off screaming into the darkness, whatever. They're removed from the story. Indeed. And so that, again, that adjudication of what is a contest comes back down to the storyteller who is opening the thing. So the adjudication can feel a little arbitrary, but at the same time, it's whenever there's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's always determined by the storyteller. And, and the great thing about, uh, about the Jenga Tower, and this is uh, why the Jenga Tower is so, so brilliant for this system. Mm-hmm. Um, two things is that it provides diminishing returns in outcomes. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of the game, you have a solid, perfectly stacked Jenga tower. Yes. You say things like, okay, uh, we're going to, you know, sneak into the campsite cause we're just a bunch of campers out having a good time. Right. Right. Cause that's how, you know, we're telling us cabin in the woods story here, you know, nine times out of 10. Uh, so, okay. Um, you're going to climb over the, uh, the barbed wire fence. Sure. Make a pull. Of course, it's a perfectly stacked Jenga tower. It's the most balanced thing, you know, on uh, on the planet. Making that pull, unless you're a complete, you know, klutz, is going to be super easy. Mm -hmm. Sure, okay. Sure. But that's the thing. Is at the beginning of the game as a storyteller, you continue to make trivial pulls. The stakes are low. And at a certain point, those pulls stop becoming so trivial. Mm -hmm. And you see that tower make that first little tenuous teeter mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden everybody has a little sweat on their brow going mm -hmm. oh boy uh things are starting to get a little real and that brings me to my second point yes everybody can see the tower yeah everybody can see how tall it's getting everybody can see how flimsy it's getting mm -hmm. and it becomes a visual representation of the overall um, impending doom. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to say of of the stability of the situation. Yes, uh, you know. So as as the storyteller is getting into the meat and potatoes of their story and starting to describe the horrific events that are unfolding, right. maybe the killer is getting close. Maybe the werewolf is no longer lurking in the shadows, and you can hear him howling in the distance. Mm -hmm. And the trees are rustling, but in the darkness, you just can't see what's out there and pierce right. the shadows with your eyes. You're you're getting the, not only this narration, but out of the corner of your eye, you see that Jenga tower just swaying. Mm -hmm. slightly <laughs> and you know the next poll could be someone's last yeah and or when you you say you want to do something like okay well i'm gonna make a break for it okay make, make a, a poll <laughs> and you just know like oh god <laughs> oh god i've been watching that thing teetering for five minutes now i don't want to make a poll you know and everybody at the table's holding their breath because and you can't get that from dice mm -hmm. you can't get that from cards you know i mean you can you can maybe arguably do diminishing returns out of cards like oh, if you, you dealt could, them you high could. to low and right. you play all your low cards first so your, right. your high cards first so you only get down to your low cards or whatever but it doesn't have the same effect of being able to see that stack of cards you know 
in quite the same way that a teetering Jenga tower sitting on the table. Well, there's also feels. there's no cheating of death. Yeah, like literally, someone is going to be removed. Yeah, and that's that's not something that any other game really gives you with that kind of that level of of uh, player interaction mm-hmm. with the death mechanic. Mm-hmm. You know, where people are, I mean, you're a team to start with. You're definitely a team moving forward. And someone playing the cards so that they survive the longest, you know, becomes different. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's where I, I think that uh, the game definitely, again, gives anxiety. Mm-hmm. 100% gives anxiety. Because um, it is highly lethal like you're you're going to lose players at, at least one honestly yeah um, and then when you reset the jenga tower after somebody dies everybody makes um uh, several pulls right to basically weaken the tower again so that you don't like well if somebody just dies then we're, we're all going to be fine for the next you know hour no 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 it's a brief pause it's a brief pause and the more players die the more you pull, pull. from a reset tower yep. so the f- quicker and flimsier it becomes mm-hmm. and you could i mean you could if you have clumsy players tpk everybody and that's oh, 100%. And that's just dread yeah that's just how the story goes you know um we uh no you would think that Highly lethal gameplay like this actually lends itself more to one-shots than campaigns. I would definitely feel that way. I would say Dread excels as one-shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing research for the show, actually, I found a post by the creators of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little blog post basically addressing exactly that assumption. And they say, I mean, we've heard a lot of chatter from the community saying that this game is not good for campaigns. Like, you can't play a campaign of Dread and, like... We absolutely had campaigns in mind when we wrote this, um, but apparently our rules for it were not clear enough. So let's you know let let's just put it out there. Like when you write up your character, um, and we say write up like literally write a character because there's no character sheets, there's no stats, you know. So you're just writing kind of a biography. Um, give them at least one other character they are connected to that could potentially be connected to the story. So if you're playing the uh, inquisitive college professor, you know, of the occult, maybe your pen, your, your, your star student mm-hmm. um, comes looking for you after you mysteriously go missing in the Warrens, you know? Right. So you'll have another character for next game. And it doesn't necessarily need to be like, oh, well, I, you know, my, my character died, so my son is, is my new character or something yeah, like it, that. Yeah, it even could be a police investigator, yeah. you know, who's who's following a dead lead, if you will. Right, right, right. Or, you know, it was such mysterious circumstances that I have to look into this, because there's no way that it could have unfolded the way that, the, you know, the right. witnesses said it did. Right, know? right. Um, and the cool thing is, too, is that, like, you don't have to play the character that was attached to your character. Mm-mm. You could potentially play other characters... You know, so if your character, Rob, died, mm-hmm. um, I could, next game session, play the character that was connected to you, looking mm-hmm. for you. Right, right. You know? So it's not always that cheesy thing of, like, you know, you always hear that D&D joke, mm-hmm. you know? It's, um, okay, your character died. Well, I make a new character. It's exactly like the last character. It's just this character, Junior, and he's come to avenge my last character. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, it almost it almost sounds like they're encouraging that sort of thing, but, but at a certain point, you need to, you know? Yeah. But, like, in... 
think of horror horror movies you've seen. Mm. Oh, you know, completely. Where you know half the cast dies, mm-hmm. but then there's a sequel to the horror movie. Yeah, and who is it? It's a couple of the original survivors. If that. Yeah. New friends they've made along the way. Or ones who've listened to the stories and are, don't necessarily believe it, but they have enough belief that they're going to go check it out. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There's so many ways to run an existing campaign of this. Where mm-hmm. Unless you TPK, you've got a continuing story. Yep. And even if you do TPK, maybe you've got a new group of people looking to follow up on the implications of the last group. So this is where my whole idea that Dread doesn't just have to be horror but still can be that level of suspense. Hit me. I want to hear this. Well, the first thing that came to my mind uh, when we were looking over everything and I was doing the research on this with you was that this sounds like a perfect system for someone who's trying to do a narrative uh, historical combat or something closer to something to a kind of World War One, World War Two, mm-hmm. those types of stories where you have a band of individuals dropped into a situation having to get to a goal every pull draws them closer to one of them probably dying. Mm-hmm. And again, death tolls are high on that. There's nothing to say that there's not going to be another private added to your group, you oh, know, sure. in the next story. But like, yeah, okay, so you guys are trying to make it to point beta. Great. You've got to cross, you know, these trench lines through this broken city, mm-hmm. past the tank battalion, you know, avoid the snipers, you know, or take them out. And so each one of those our actions and pulls. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look, not not all of this has to be Camp Crystal Lake, you know, Correct. being being hacked up by Jason sort of sort of stories. Right. I mean, what you're describing is a unique take on it, I think, from the from the survival horror genre necessarily, but you're still leaning into the horror of war. Cor- no, I, I agree. I think the term every corner and stuff of that horror it needs to be understood mm-hmm. that it's. That it's a horrific situation. Right, but you're not being stalked by a monster, you're just being stalked by Nazis. Bullets, like, or, know, bullets or, yeah. or Jurassic Park. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, exactly. could, you could easily do this with Jurassic Park. You could easily do this with... It'd be phenomenal. A, yeah. Like, Jurassic Park game would be phenomenal. Yeah, and, and that's my thought, mm-hmm. is, is that you don't necessarily have to fit the same genre. You just have to understand that this is going to be a high-intensity game. Yes. Now, I will put a spin on this whole thing okay. a little bit. You remember Paranoia. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that says you couldn't run a game like Paranoia with this, where you are summarily incinerated as an individual because you violated the rules. <laughs> and you could think... do you could do a societal situation like this. Again, you're still getting to a point of and, and again, it's not horror in that sense. Yeah, but it's a it, definitive end. It's leaning into the lethality, though. But I, it I, is, and, and that's the thing is, is that I'm trying to also step us away from this is a system. Mm-hmm. This isn't this isn't a genre because it's a Jenga tower and it's causing anticipation on the no, pole. No, 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 no. But but what I'm what I'm getting at though is that the 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 mechanic itself um, has psychological side effects. Agreed. Um, and and, the, and those psychological side effects lean into horror and away from other games. Like you said, it causes anxiety. Correct. We've got Knox in the Box in the live chat basically already noping <laughs> out. He's just like, no, yep. no, no, yep. we'd never play this game. No, screw this, you know. Um, and uh, it's 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 going to be one of those things where you're going to have a tough time playing any other system with a Jenga tower like this using Dread's rules without adding that anxiety and tension to it agreed you know so um what does dread do well it creates a simple yet effective rule set for survival horror unlike any other system out there and yes Mm -hmm. even ones dedicated to the genre like call of cthulhu 
Um, I know there's probably a lot of Call of Cthulhu fans out there. Um, I've looked at the rules, and it's, like, really crunchy. But, like, if you want a system that kills you repeatedly and doesn't care... Yeah. Dread, I think, is maybe better than wasting time writing out a lot of numbers on a character sheet for a character who's probably going to die three hours or, from or now. clicking through a spire a death spiral if you will yeah. you know of like oh i'm going into psychosis or oh i'm losing life you know just just get to the point <laughs> honestly watching that tower teetering in the corner is, is going enough. to do more for your madness yeah more for your role playing of madness and tension and psychosis than any number on your sheet is ever going to do for you right and then that doesn't end there because even though you're out of the game you're still sitting there watching the other players and feeling that tension yep yep yeah um and the the other the other great thing is uh if you can pull a block out of a tower you know all the rules yeah that's pretty much it um so allows you to focus right on the story you don't have to worry about numbers on a character you don't have to worry about a character sheet at all Mm -mm. it is just literally you've got the tower and the story yeah and that's it yeah um so what doesn't dread do well well number one it doesn't it doesn't let you go to sleep at night easy. <laughs> I'm just going to put that one out there. There's Two, that. it does set up um, an accessibility issue. Mm-hmm. Because if you do have players who have some accessibility, like I know some of our players, some definitely within uh, within our groups of friends, have uh, uh, shaky hands mm-hmm. uh, or who have um, some detriments that make it challenging for them to move on a regular basis. And if I've got to get up, steady myself in front of a tower pull a block and place a block that requires a certain level of dexterity and agility it does. It does. and it becomes frustrating for those individuals because now they can't yeah. or it becomes challenging for them to be able to achieve those goals so uh, it, it creates a, an accessibility curve on the game that um i think is a challenge and i think that's an upfront thing and i'm not saying that it's a bad system by any means but i am going to put that out there because it's one of the things that weighs on me yeah, in no, my absolutely. mind. So I was reading something earlier today about um, uh, people with Parkinson's, and it says what immediately comes to mind is like, yeah, if, if you've got um, anything from essential tremors up all the way up to Parkinson's or something like that, like just it it feels accessible from the standpoint of oh, all you have to do is pull a block, but you know it it makes your challenges physical, and so it's like not able to really be played online. It's not able to be played by people who have physical disabilities. It's arguably dice are a lot easier because they can be simulated electronically and it takes very little motor skill to to roll a die. Yeah, and there's other ways to achieve the same role. You yep. can push a button to get a, a random there's, roll. There's even braille dice for, you know, for, for uh, uh, seeing impaired people. Yes. You know, uh, so it's, um, you know, whereas Jenga is going to require hand-eye coordination. You know, you got to you got to see the block. You got to see the tower to be able to coordinate with it. So um, this is a system also very, very, very specifically focused on a genre, Mm -hmm. um, as we touched on before. So unless you are playing survival horror or some variation thereof um, and don't intend for three quarters of your characters to survive the story, Mm -hmm. um, Dread is not the system you want to use. So, uh, like as I said at the beginning of this uh, this breakdown, it's probably the best rule system I will never get to use. Yes, yes. Um, now, b- again, because of this, it's also really designed around one shot style play. Yeah. Um, at least it feels like it. you can play episode. You could play episodic with the survivors coming back for a sequel, like in the horror movies. But right. Um, it, it would really it would really be up to your group. 
Um, yeah. And it, it, it does take that sort of design. You're like, you're not going to get a lot of continuation of character. Right. Um, right. Your characters learn and grow and become better people. Cause they're probably going to be dead. Yeah. Pretty soon. I mean, you could, and I'm just going to put this out there. You could also do something, uh, almost tongue in cheek with dread. Um, that would be like a corporate tower. Where you're, you're all, you're all people in a cutthroat corporate industry. And if the tower falls, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> and and at that point, it'd be kind of fun, and it would be different. Clean out your desk. You're <laughs> through here. You're through here. Exactly. You know, you, you know, you're an investment firm. You're an insurance firm. You're some ridiculous corporate firm. And basically, when you when you failed, you're fired. You, <laughs> you know? cooked fish in the microwave. <laughs> Ooh, 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 you know, pull a block. <laughs> yep. So, so that's the thing is, is that you you could technically dice this up a little bit uh, and change that up, but it really is designed to build that anxiety and have that anxiety be mm-hmm. very, very apparent. Uh, now we're running a little bit a little bit behind here, and we've got some really good questions, and I want to get to them. So okay. I well, kind of want to just kind of burn through a little bit of this next part here. Let's um, just jump to the questions and 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 then come back to this because I think it's important. Okay. Okay. Sure. I, I think they really fit into what we were talking about. So. All right. Um, so Knox asked, um, with games that and this kind of steps back to what we had talked about in previous, uh, with games that are, are reward players for bennies and fate points. Don't you run a risk of forcing players to play on disingenuous ways to appease the DM for the benefits of a subjective reward? Or does that actually help them play in a way that is natural and genuine? Okay, so what what you're asking here is is basically just dangling the carrot of a in-game reward, such as a Benny or a Fate Point, make force them into playing in a way that they wouldn't ordinarily play. Honey, eat your peas, and if you do, I'll give you ice cream. Yes, yes. Um... And so I, I think the answer is a little bit of yes, but kind of no. Um, I, I think it's not so much of a, uh, so much of a situation of you're going to play in a disingenuous way. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the game systems that offer bennies or fate points or whatever, um, you know, material uh, bonuses um, for playing in a detrimental way to your character mm-hmm. are done so because those detrimental things are are, are written on your character sheet. Correct. And oftentimes you have gleaned some sort of a benefit for taking that detriment. Right. You know, um, so you, you have a flaw of hot tempered that gives you two extra build points to put somewhere else on your character. But it also gives the storyteller the ability to say, you're not giving this one up because you are hot tempered. Exactly. And he holds up a fate token while mm-hmm. he says that. Mm-hmm. And now you have the option of either buying that fate token off or playing a hot-tempered character who maybe hauls off and punches somebody or starts screaming. Exactly. Um, but whatever. But so the, the first thing is, is that you have to understand that it's not disingenuous to ask your players to play the flaws that they put on their characters and got a material benefit for. Correct. Um, that's just straight up, I want to see you use the flaw rather than getting free points. And my other side of that, which uh, is that if you're giving out fate or or inspiration or whatever for people who are role playing, and other players are seeing that and they're like, "Oh, well, if I'll ro- if I role play, 
and make people laugh at the table and, and do funny voices and things, I'll also get inspiration points. Mm-hmm. It is encouraging them to do the thing you want them to do to make the game better. So it's it's less eat your peas and I'll give you ice cream and more you got straight A's, so I'm taking you out for ice cream. Exactly. You, you proactively did the good thing, right. and I'm going to reward you because I'm I'm happy with the effect and I'm going to give you positive reinforcement. So I think it flips both directions. Mm-hmm. Do you have something on your character sheet that's a flaw, that's some way that you should be playing your character already and i'm just reminding and encouraging you to do that or is it something that you've done because you're trying to get my attention and do something that i want everyone to be doing and i'm giving you a benefit for it yeah yeah either way if, if you, i don't think whether so. you eat your peas because they're good for you or you eat them out of spite you still ate the peas yeah because how could you get any pudding if you don't eat your meat yeah <laughs> um so nox is in the live chat he's actually uh, he follows up with, uh, with another question says, aren't fate points almost a requirement and not just a treat you're correct um fate points are how you get stuff done they're how you activate a lot of your sort of specialish abilities and, yep. and, and interject more heroic things into the uh into the into that system into yeah. the system um but and, and it's very clear they don't give you enough fate points to do that regularly yeah you either have to really scrimp and save and like hope you don't get into a dicey situation huh. or you have to put yourself in a position where you're going to be earning those fate points by putting yourself at a detriment but that kind of but that's but that's by design though that's mm-hmm. in the system and again it's not being disingenuous it's that look we're you know we're we're trying to play fleshed out characters mm-hmm. who are living breathing characters okay yeah. and human beings are not perfect individuals who always do the optimum thing yeah we we're not are, mary sues <laughs> yeah exactly so having a character who is put in a situation where it's like oh god i really need a fate point maybe i just lose my temper on this guy and maybe yeah. that's gonna suck for me in the long run because i kind of need this guy's help but if i lose my temper now maybe he's just gonna tell me to take a hike mm-hmm. but you maybe roll the dice on it because you're stressed out and you're tired and i roll the dice instead of if yeah. metaphorically no i'm with you um but you know it, it's Yes, you're correct. And it puts players in the position to make those decisions of, do I do this to get a fate point? And you might call that disingenuous, but honestly, I just call it good role-playing. It's adding to the story. And I, I've said it many times before, I will, I will say it many times again, is that characters exist because of their flaws. Mm-hmm. They're just a bundle, bundle of optimized stats if they don't have any flaws. And stories exist because of challenges. Yeah. So if a player's creating a challenge, they're adding to the story. Exactly. So maybe that guy does tell you to take a hike. Well, you know what? That's a new challenge for you. Maybe getting that guy back on your mm-hmm. side. Maybe finding an alternative to that guy's help that he was going to solve all your problems, but now he's not. Yep. You know? And that's how stories continue. So, uh, I mean, I don't know if you want to use the word disingenuous for that, but I that's it's 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 an incentive give and take system. Yeah. Good Good answer. Uh, so I want to, I'm going to jump to Mad Elf cause he had Go like four it. questions and I Do think it. they're all really Do great. It. Um, so, uh, let me see if I can find one here. Um, one of the things I appreciate about WRNM, uh, was it is a very minimal, uh, setting information. I mean, it didn't have the expectation of how rules are used in a specific context and allowed me to feel like I had more creative control over my own content. When do you see background setting material as a hindrance, and when do you see it as a supportive of the game that you want to run? I think early in any system, 
Anytime that you've got a setting that you are unfamiliar with or a framework you're unfamiliar with, like for me, Shadowrun, when I first experienced, I had no idea what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And the idea of doing something episodic by having a group in there, I needed more framework. And Shadowrun poured that information on me and made a beautiful world that it it, it was breathing easy for me to wrap my head around. Did it hinder me? I think later on it did. I think as I experienced more of Shadowrun and more of games in general, whether it be Palladium, Shadowrun, anything that had its setting embedded into the actual system, it hindered me because now I had players who knew things, Mm. who had details coming into the game and had expectations of what that meant. And that causes a hindrance as a storyteller because now I feel less informed or I have to re-inform of what the changes are. I mean, I don't know if that's so much of a hindrance, though, because, I mean, the, the, the way I, – I see what you're saying, and, mm-hmm. I, and trust me, I know I know that complication, so mm-hmm. I'm not disagreeing. But at the same time, though, I don't know that having informed players who know about the world is necessarily a bad thing. Um just from the standpoint of you sometimes get players who will bring you things that you hadn't considered in the world. Mm-hmm. And also, not your, I mean, your characters exist and live and breathe in this world. Not everybody's a babe in the woods who has to find out what a knoll is every I, time. You know? I 100% agree. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, I think. Yeah. Um, I think my answer to this question, when do you see a background setting material as a hindrance? And when do you see it supportive of the game you want to run? Um, the the line of demarcation on that for me is exactly to the point of how much I want to homebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, if the system is very flexible and has no existing setting tied into it, and I want to homebrew everything, it is such a blessing. Because mm-hmm. I don't have to disentangle it from an existing world yep. to supplant my own in there. Yep. On the other hand, if I'm trying to run an existing world and now there's nothing helping me... Now, sometimes you do have to homebrew some things because world building comes with certain expectations. And if the rules as written do not follow those expectations, now you've either got to come up with explanations of why it's not fitting or you've got to homebrew a bunch of stuff to make it fit. Exactly. You know? So, uh, yeah, that that's that's really where that lies for me. Okay. Uh, you want to do Overwatches? Sure. All right. um, a question based solely on this episode's title. We have we all have character preferences, things that we lean into and return to more often. For each of you, warrior, rogue, mage, and why? Oh, God. Yeah. This one depends on the mood. Yeah. Um, my curse is that I come up with a billion different character concepts every day. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, I've got warriors, I've got rogues, and I've got mages floating in my head. Agreed. Uh, I mean, as for, if you're if you're asking about me personally, um, like what do I think I am? Mm-hmm. Probably mage. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to come down to it, um, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Uh, but like as far as you know, my my favorite type of characters, yeah, it depends on how I'm feeling and what the campaign needs. I've got characters in in the back of my head for you know the strong like. Klingon type character who will stand in the middle of the battlefield and declare their full name and lineage so that their enemies know exactly who they're fighting. Yep. Um, I've one of my longest played characters in D and D was a rogue character mm-hmm. who was a lot like Deadpool, just very mouthy and just you know, 
um, very stabby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm currently playing a mage in your in your your game, um, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Yeah, uh, mages and clerics in general, I love playing. So I I've played all the t- class types. I, I I've played warriors. I've played rogues. I've played mages. I've played mages who consider themselves warriors. I've played warriors who consider themselves rogues. Mm-hmm. You know, I I like the challenge of having different things out there. And so for me, it comes down to um, sometimes what's available or what's intriguing with that setting. So sometimes I just get a spark from hearing about the story and what the setting is or, or where the story is being told or, or sometimes even just the system. Um, like I did with City of Mist. I was intrigued by the system and mm-hmm. the idea of playing a ghost just really intrigued me. And so I... I wrote my character a specific way. Yeah. So I always see it as a different creative outlet, another way for me to, to tell a different story. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, I agree. So yeah, I, think, I don't really have a preference in that. Sense. The definitive, the definitive answer is a little of everything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay. I'm going to grab another, another one of the mad elves, uh, questions. They're um, all very good. Uh, a WRNM specific question. Okay. What are your thoughts about medieval fantasy settings where which introduces firearms as a common weapon option? Seven uh, C does that. Mm-hmm. It is it is technically a fantasy setting that involves sword play and weaponry, and yet has firearms. But the firearms are not inaccessible, but harder to master because of reload mechanics the same kind of things that happens with crossbows oh yeah you know where there is a definitive time to do a reload so it's either have more or you get one good shot yep i remember my my character i leaned into that you did my character became a combat monster because i can reload a pistol in three rounds yeah you know (laughs) so i might get a second shot exactly you know exactly uh, you know. and, and and that makes her a force. <laughs> so it, it, it makes it very very dangerous. Firearms become exceptionally dangerous, but when they don't, when they miss, when yeah. they when when that when when the cannon doesn't hit the target or the it doesn't it fizzles out. Now you've got the problem because yep. it effectively the yep. spell didn't go off. Yeah. No, I, I I'm 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 a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, I think it's fine. I think as long as as long as you keep them balanced and you don't have like automatic weapons, I think they're great. Correct. They should be as dangerous as they sound. Big club ends on the uh, on the other end, so you can flip that pistol around and use it as a mace next exactly. turn. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, so our next week's topic, uh, we're actually getting back to the basics uh, yes. this time around. So um, we want to do storytelling one hundred and one. Things I wish I knew when I started. So for all of you new storytellers or dungeon yes. masters learning the craft. Yes. This one's for you. Yeah, um, we're going to try and crank back ourselves a little bit and and figure out where the beginning really do start. Yeah, like. yeah. Um, you know, and I, 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 we, we keep an eye online and stuff like that. We see a lot of uh, a lot of threads started of, uh, guys, I'm starting my next, my next, you know, my, my very first D&D game. I just bought it and three of my friends are going to play. What should I know? Well, this one's for you. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, just the basic things that you're going to physically need for the table or things you're going to want to have readied and prepared for even your session zero. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, so tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your friends' enemies. <laughs> Bring them all. Bring them all. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave. You can find us up on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And uh, join our Discord. Uh, we tweet out the link to our Discord uh, pretty much every week. You can also find that link up on our website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, and Sparkle Motion. We really appreciate all the help you bring to us and keep this show going uh if you were listening live you were hearing our pre-show music by arcane anthems you can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems our intro music is beyond the warriors by geefrog you can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com our outro music only our footprints in the sand by midair machine is what you're hearing right now and you can find that at soundcloud.com slash midair machine slash tracks and big shout out as always to our families vicky and sean thank you so much for supporting us every week all of our friends who've sat with us over the years at our D tables and uh, helped us get all these great stories yes and to you every single one of our listeners we love you so much love you good night good night